uh, program has been so successful that they're implementing it at a global level, level now for many different conditions. And so our goal over the Democratic Republic of Congo is to be able to train the primary doctors and nurses about epilepsy to improve overall care and um, improve the quality of life for the patient, but also to educate the community because they have 600,000 patients over there, but only eight neurologists, which it's impossible for those eight neurologists to see every patient. But the real problem over there is many parts of Africa, because of the lack of resources communities have in some areas, many still think of um, epilepsy as being possessed like a witchcraft or that it's contagious. And the doctor I work with in the Democratic Republic of Congo, it was a very, um, he's very passionate about his work. He started his nonprofit, which is called ASLIC. And it was heartbreaking. Um, When I first found out the story, there was a little girl who was eight years old and she was walking home from school with her friends and she had a seizure. It went face first into a puddle on the ground. And the children were so scared thinking if they touched her, they would start having seizures. They ran for the village and she drowned and died in the puddle, 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 puddle. Same business, different day. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Same Business, Different Day podcast. Uh, I'm Zeke Corley. And first, I want to introduce my co-host, as always, Alyssa Lee Good. How are you doing? Hi, Zeke. I'm have, having a great day. Have we talked about you um, getting accepted into the master's program yet? I don't know. I think we should. I, I think accepted. we should celebrate that. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Working on my master's. That's right. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening. I also want to remind you all to uh, you know, subscribe, like, and comment um, on our YouTube page, on throughout our, our podcasts. Um and, you know, and, and also follow us on social media at Same Biz Pod, S-A-M-E-B-I-Z-P-O-D. Uh, now, let's introduce our guests. Um, today's guest has an incredible story. She has faced adversity and risen to the challenges that life has presented to her. When someone chooses to turn obstacles into opportunity, we can learn from their determination. She is someone who believes in standing up for others and pushes for education into unknown territories. Same Business, Different Day welcomes Natalie Boyum to the show. Thank you for having me today. 100%, thank you. (laughs) Uh, We have one rule, Natalie, on this show. So, Alyssa, could you please share that with her? We got one rule, um, and it's uh, not to get to the reveal before we're ready, so we're going to talk about your personal uh, background, where you came from, get to know you a little bit before we talk about your professional life and what you got going on. Sounds good. <laughs> good, good. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York. I lived in Niagara Falls, New York for a number of years and then moved to Buffalo, New York. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What did your parents do for a living? My father and mother were self-employed. My father is an insurance agent and my mother an insurance broker. So what was really nice from a very young age, I had to learn about the importance of money and saving, seeing my parents for a long time live check by check or live on credit if they built a business. Mm -hmm. 
and the joy I had was seeing after 10 years of my parents working very hard and all of us working together as a family to see my, um, my parents' company take off and just do so, so well. That's great. Wow. I mean, I, I helped out in the insurance agency uh, at a young age as well. Now, were you actually helping them with the business? Yes, I was. From a younger age, it was just basic things like helping with filing, stuff like that. And then I took on more of an administrative role in my teenage and young adult years. That's great. Did you like doing that? At first, I didn't. You know, obviously, any little kid would rather be playing (laughs) or doing something. Mm -hmm. But I I grew to appreciate as I got older to see what um, I think a lot of people are oblivious to the importance of um, work ethic in business that, you know, anything you're going to get is not going to be handed to you. You have to make the right decisions and set the right goals. Right. Right. And so, and you got to live in, in a house or atmosphere where uh, these are business owners, these are entrepreneurs, these are people who are doing it for themselves, not just, you know, leaving the house to go work in the corporate world and coming home or hating their boss or something. They are the boss. So you <laughs> exactly. get to you kind of get uh, a, a different perspective than some do. Uh, that's that's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. I think the only um, thing I didn't like and I laugh because I do it now myself is my father is really a workaholic. And he works seven days a week. Sure. And I can't tell you many times in the weekend I thought, Dad, could you just take a breather, give it a rest? Mm-hmm. But then I find myself doing it. Even if I tell myself I'm going to have a day off, I'm back in my office in the evening mm-hmm. going through a couple of things, preparing for the next day. So I can't pick on my dad about it anymore. <laughs> Got your work ethic there. Got yeah. it from yes. him. <laughs> well, that's the lesson to be learned here, too, as, as you know, at our podcast, you know, that's what we like to do is we like to inspire these business owners and these entrepreneurs and all. But, um, you know, I do have to confess that, you know, when you do take that on, you take it on wholeheartedly, all on your shoulders. Right. So really oh, what yeah. you have is um, you've got some freedom there because it's yours. It's your business. It can, you know. Uh, rise or fall with your efforts based on what you do. But uh, that does turn you into a workaholic because you know that if it falls, it's all on you. (laughs) There's nobody else to blame. (laughs) No, it it becomes your baby. You don't think of it at that at first, but over time, it's like you're nourishing it when you're setting goals and, you know, seeing where you need to go to become stronger. And we hit a bump in the road. How do you face it? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I find too many people panic. You, you can't panic. You have to realize as you're um, strategically planning and building a business, this isn't going to be a straight, clean path. You're going <laughs> yeah. ha- to have to make a turn at some point. Yes. So those in our audience that are considering taking that leap, uh, we, you know, you've been forewarned. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you really just love uh, weekends off and vacations and everything, you know, maybe don't listen to all of the advice that Alyssa and I give. On oh, that's the show, me. I love taking a vacation. Yeah, see, I need yeah. a day off. I wouldn't even so. know what that's like. I wouldn't even know what that's like. Um, so did uh, Natalie, did you have um, thoughts of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I mean, I imagine you probably didn't see yourself forever in the insurance business. No, I, I didn't want to be insurance because I saw the frustrations um, (laughs) my father had when it came to clients. It isn't like today. So many people just going online and talking to an agent through zoom. My father had to establish a close professional relationship with many of his clients so that he could network and grow. He was very dependent at that time 
on word of mouth because there was no social media at the time. So I saw a lot of dedication my father had to put into it. When I was first younger, I wanted to be an architect. And I, I just, mm. as I found I got older, for a short time in my life, I, I just really didn't know where I wanted to go with life. I knew that I could be successful, but it's almost like near my, I'd say, late teens, I almost had a little bit of identity crisis. I wanted to be an architect or a lawyer, but just couldn't make up my mind. Okay. Hmm. Um, how was school for you? Um, did you like it? And then where'd you end up going for your bachelor's? Um, I did like school, but at times I didn't do well because of um, some complications in my life. I, when I decided um, to head more towards being an attorney, I first did my undergraduate as a paralegal with for an associate's degree and I worked in real estate and contract law and then I went on and I got a bachelor's in liberal studies so that I could prepare for my pre-law requirements okay <laughs> that's really cool I mean you know when you think about um you know trying to trying to find that path right these that's that's kind of what again what the show is all about because we have these conversations um and then some people think, okay, it's just going to be a straight shot. And some people do. They fly right through their education and know exactly what they're going to be doing. But then sometimes, you know, you might catch a, a right turn or a fork in the road somewhere and have a decision to be, to make, uh, like, you know, am I going to be an attorney or not? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, no, it's the truth. And I think what part of it was for me is I really love to learn and I really love to get into different things. And it had to come down to, I had to decide what could I do every day for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So what about jobs early on? First jobs, fun jobs. Tell us about some work experience. Uh, uh, my first job was obviously for my father. Mm -hmm. And then as I got into my teenage years, I worked in um, grocery retail management for almost five years, mm. working um, in the meat department at a grocery store, which I really loved it. But at the same time, I knew I wanted to move further up in my um, career. And I had been doing my undergrad work and working in a grocery store. I realized I, if I stayed in a grocery store, I was going to hit a plateau. Okay. And I didn't want that. I wanted to experience more in life. And then while um, my husband was going through school, I had been working as a paralegal. But in 2008, when the economy collapsed, all of a sudden, we, our hours were cut back. We lost our benefits. And I started actually doing home care because even though I was paid a couple dollars an hour less, I had full medical benefits. Mm. So it actually saved me money to take a little bit of a pay cut. But I admit it was it was a challenging experience. On one hand, I loved it because I loved helping people and it was nice to go visit and care for people. But I also felt very frustrated because I thought to myself, here I spent all my time in college doing my work and now I'm doing home care. And I felt like I had worked really hard and I had two pieces of paper on the wall that didn't mean deadly. <laughs> and, and I made up my mind that was not going to be the case. I knew I had to take it to yeah. the next level in time. I think a lot of college grads feel that way. Um, you know, you think going into college your first year, like, oh, I'm just going to get my degree and be super successful and get a job right away. And then you graduate and you're waiting and nothing's happening yeah. and you have to take yeah. that one job that you didn't really want to take. And why'd I spend all this money? But you know, you just you have to keep working and then you'll get it. <laughs> exactly. 
That's that's another good lesson. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what do what do we say to those folks who are looking at the paper hanging on the wall and it's like, well, what was this all for? Yeah. You know, uh, how do I keep plugging away or which direction do I even go? This has nothing to do with the major. This right. has nothing to do with what I studied. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's a tough one there. So um, how about mentors early on? Well, early on, one of my best mentors was an attorney who um, taught most of my paralegal classes. And he really instilled in me, I have a passion for research, but I was also very hard on myself. If I couldn't find something right away, I would drive myself nuts. I couldn't sit down and and look at everything. For example, I had to um, do a, a... trial brief, but in the, this was in the very early beginning of my training, learning how to do um, legal research. And I had everything together, but I just couldn't strengthen it enough, I felt. And he just told me to look up a word. I can't remember the word. And instead of just going to the law dictionary, which would have taken two minutes, I drove to the law library that night, and I probably dug through every business and civil law, you know, through the McKinney statutes, trying to find this perfect law to finalize what I had to do and spend about four hours where I could have just done something in two minutes if I would have relaxed and mm. just looked up the word. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, I did that to you on purpose. You know why? And I was like, no, he goes, because you stress yourself out trying to find perfection. He goes, if you're aiming, thinking every time you do something for me, you're going to have it perfect. He goes, you're going to bring yourself out. Mm. Ignoring squills and warning lights on your car is not a good way to lower the cost of owning it. And going without essential business insurance is not a good way to save money in your business. What we know for sure is doing either will cost you more than you will save in the short and the long run. With YourInsurancePlace.com, you can trust the specialists to help maintain your cars and avoid major expenses. Business owners should look to business insurance specialists when it comes to finding competitively priced quality insurance coverage for their businesses. At YourInsurancePlace.com, we specialize in workers' compensation, general and professional liability, employment practices and cyber liability, property owner policies, and bonds for most types of businesses. YourInsurancePlace.com knows that we can help. If you're uncovered, need to lower the cost of your current insurance, or need better coverage, we can help. YourInsurancePlace.com has been helping businesses for close to 40 years. If you need a quote on your insurance, call us now at 858-569-8100 or find us at YourInsurancePlace.com. We are business insurance specialists ready to help. Hi, I'm Jeff Fox, founder of Star Fox Media. We're a digital marketing and video production company that focuses on serving small businesses here in Vista, California. We have the team and all of the equipment necessary to produce, film, edit, and distribute your podcast to as many people as possible. For more information, you can reach out to us via email at info at starfox.media or give us a call at 760-385-3117. Let Star Fox Media help you tell your brand story today. Well, <laughs> sometimes you got to relax. That's, uh, <laughs> yes. It's taught you an important lesson. There. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm very type A. I'm very competitive. When people mm-hmm. have said, you can't do something, I'm more humble about it, but in my 20s, I wasn't. It was a, more of a step aside, and I'm going to show you how to do it kind of attitude which in some ways was good. It was a good survival technique. Sure. But then in situations like that, I look back and say, why did I do stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So let's talk about um, one of those obstacles growing up. Um, and part of the reason you're here, uh, we're going to talk about epilepsy. Um, so tell us a little bit about growing up with epilepsy um, and what that meant for you. Well, I was diagnosed at the age of two with epilepsy due to a traumatic brain injury. It was a very difficult time for my family because the medication, I first off, I didn't have a pediatric neurologist. They put me with an adult neurologist mm -hmm. and he put me on phenobarbital, which is a very um, strong barbiturate with very negative side effects. And instead of the doctor doing things to help my parents, such as a support group, finding a child psychologist to help me deal with my emotions because I was very hypersensitive. The attitude was, well, give her her medicine. And if she has a seizure, call an ambulance. So here my parents have no guidance on really what to expect, how to deal with side effects. And it was put both of us, put all of us really in an impossible situation because here my parents are trying to make a living and survive while taking care of a chronically ill child with no support and it really caused a lot of um, toxicity for us mm -hmm. because because of the uh, stressful pretty much a chronically stressful environment for everybody mm. and there's got to be better ways to deal with this right and I, I oh absolutely yeah and and that's something that uh, you're involved with so let's let's get into the reveal here um, okay <clears throat> Natalie Boyum is the president and founder of the defeating Epilepsy Foundation at 501c3 in Southern California. The Defeating Epilepsy Foundation's mission is to provide the advocacy and educational resources needed to the epilepsy community and our society. The Defeating Epilepsy Foundation works on a global level, helping individuals with epilepsy receive the support they need. Thank you, Natalie, again for being here with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having this foundation, getting it started. Oh. You're educating people on something that a lot of people have. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is more common than people think. There's 3.4 million people or million um, Americans who are battling epilepsy. Mm. And the hardest thing is, is because of the stigma, many hide it from employers Mm -hmm. Or if they're in a relationship with someone, they're afraid mm. to disclose it. Oh, wow. And because of the fear, it's very hard to help these people. For example, some of the local projects were in the beginning stages of putting together. We went through um, the U.S. Census to figure out the demographics out here in the Inland Empire where I am. And we found out there's an estimated 46 to 47,000 people battling epilepsy out here. And when I talked to an entrepreneur who is a philanthropist as well out here, it put him almost into a state of shock. He said, I would never believe almost 50,000 people are out here dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's because of the stigma. They're afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was a reality check for him. Start back, like just for, you know, to educate me a little bit, right? Um, <laughs> I, I've heard of people who have had seizure, seizures, um, you know, here or there or once or twice. Um, but does that officially make them epileptic? Do, do they have to go and be diagnosed first? Or is this could this could it be just, you know, this freak issue that happened, you know, uh, here or there? 
Well, one in 10 people will have a seizure in their lifetime. And most of the time it is a one time event. Okay. For somebody to be considered diagnosed with epilepsy, you have to have two or more unprovoked seizures. And then they will refer you to a neurologist who will do an EEG. And if the EEG test brings back any abnormal activity, that's when they normally confirm a diagnosis. Mm. You say two or more unprovoked. Is this in a specific period of time or just in your lifetime? I'm pretty much in your lifetime. Okay. Okay. And, and, and define unprovoked. How, what, what's a provoked seizure? Um, for people who have epilepsy, certain um, situations such as stress can trigger a seizure. Um, my trigger for many years when I lived in upstate New York when the barometric pressure would drop suddenly, we'd have bad thunderstorms coming in. Mm. Those would trigger my seizures. My, my mother actually said to me at one point I needed to become a meteorologist. Mm. <laughs> oh gosh. It, it, was, it was that bad for a time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I almost choked on my wife. I'm sorry to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can, I don't, I don't know if there is like a, a strict definition to what epilepsy is, but can you just sort of, you know, describe, you know, what, what is it defi- like, you know, a, a neurologist is telling you you have epilepsy. What does that mean? <laughs> um, it is a neurological disorder that results in an individual having seizures The complexity of epilepsy is there are many different types of seizures and depending what area in the brain is affected or even um, what is causing it. For example, June is Dravet Syndrome Awareness Month and Dravet Syndrome is a rare form of epilepsy that is caused most of the time by mutation in the SCN1A gene. It's a sodium channel gene that's located in the brain and when it's mutated, It can cause things like prolonged seizures, abnormal development when it comes to um, they get real bad learning disabilities. They may have speech impairments. They may display autistic-like behavior, whereas mine was from a head injury and just having scar tissue on the brain from my head injury, that one little area causes a disturbance and triggers my seizures. So it can be from... Um, people at times when they get brain tumors, if they have the brain tumor removed, the scar tissue from that can happen. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, sadly, they can't even find the reason. There's a number of people who get diagnosed with epilepsy and they never really find the underlying cause of it. Okay. Is it something that can get better over time or do um, individuals just sort of figure it out as they go? <laughs> um, well, sadly, it's really more on a case by case basis. Okay. Around 70% of people with epilepsy can get their seizures controlled through medication, or they may do a combination of treatments such as um, a VNS, which is a vagus nerve stimulator, and it sends pulses to the brain to, um, if it picks up that a seizure is trying to fire, it'll stop the seizure from taking place. But 30% have what's called refractory or drug-resistant epilepsy, and many, sadly, that I know who have refractory epilepsy, they've been on pretty much any medicine you can think of, may have had brain surgery already, VNS, RNS stimulators, and still, sadly, have seizures despite all the efforts they've made. So then if that's the case, then it makes it much harder for us to put this in, like, just one box. Here, here contribute here or help these people out because there's such a wide range 
of of people that you need to be helping, right? You can't just help just just one type. Exactly. I mean, my main focus is um, where I find the frustration of some of my competitors are is they're very focused on research and development, which is good. Mm-hmm. But I find the my competitors who are focused on that are forgetting the community or you'll have small grassroots organizations, a lot of them, you know, parents who have children with epilepsy or they've lost children due to epilepsy mm-hmm. and they focus on a very small amount. And I find children when they're younger, they're very focused on them and the care, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But once they leave the K-12 system, and go on to college or a job, there really is no guidance for adults with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And it really puts them into a situation where many people with epilepsy as children, like even my parents, they don't mean to be overprotective, but because of the fear of everything, they really are. And then all of a sudden you're expected to go into the adult world work. And a lot of times people with epilepsy have to hide their condition because there's a lot of discrimination. People are afraid to hire people with epilepsy, worried if they have a seizure on the job, could they get sued by the person or sure. will clients stop going to their doing business with them? And most people like myself, even when my seizures were controlled, I had maybe one a week. The government, their attitude is, well, yeah, you are sick, but you're not sick enough. Find sure. a way to work around this mm. and take care of yourself. So that's why there's... um. We need so much more to help adults so that they can get better education. We really need to improve the um, workforce opportunities. And just, I want people to see that despite the challenges people with epilepsy have, we can contribute to society. Right. There's no reason to isolate us. And I found the only way I really can get through to people about it is when I put it into numbers. I was talking to someone one day and I said, There's 3.4 million people in the country with epilepsy. 70% can control their seizures, but so many end up on disability because of trying to constantly find gainful employment, the stress of trying to get good health care. There's a lot of, um, I hate to say it a lot, there's either great doctors or there's horrible doctors. Trying to find someone in the middle is nearly impossible. So if they can't get good health care, if they can't get good mental wellness care, if they can't have employment, their health deteriorates. Eventually they give up and go on disability. They get an attorney and say, I'm done. I tried. Right. Now, if we could stop the stigma, if we could stop those games and help people get into gainful employment, create their own business, learn a trade, something. I said, could you imagine the economic growth if 70% of 3.4 million got put into the workforce, right. mm. what it would do to our communities, what it would do for our society. And when I put it that way, they were like, I never thought of it that way. And I said, yes. I said, when you stigmatize people, you're not just hurting them. You actually are hurting yourself. You're preventing us from becoming stronger. Welcome back, everybody. Historic Downtown Vista is open and waiting for you. Six award-winning breweries, more than 40 restaurants, theaters, art, music, and fun shops from home decor and clothing to gems and even exotic birds and fish. The hometown charm that makes Downtown Vista so special is swinging its doors open to say hello. Visit downtownvista.org to learn more. That's downtownvista.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. North County Daily Star is the leading source for news and community information along the 78 corridor. 
It's free to subscribe and it is updated daily. Look for us on your mobile device or computer at ncdailystar.com. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to um, these businesses uh, on on the best way to approach working together? How do you work together and, and make them feel as feel comfortable with the situation, right? Because we can, you know, we can pretend we don't understand their, their, you know, discomfort or their confusion. I mean, they, maybe they don't have, you know, anyone in their family who uh, has had epilepsy and they haven't been educated on it like you are, you know, trying to do, but um, how do you get them to feel comfortable uh, in that situation where they start, they can start hiring more? Well, I tell to um, to employers, if you have positions such as an administrative position, or even if you have a business where that person could work from home, give them the opportunity to be in a comfortable environment because they could be very productive. Now, obviously, not every employer can, you know, hire someone with epilepsy. I mean, I hope United Airlines would never, or airliner would ask me to fly a plane because I'm the last person you oh, no. want behind the controls. Oh, I'm the God. first to admit it. Okay. But but a lot of um, there are a lot of administrative jobs. There's people who are nurses, doctors, attorneys, business owners. A lot of them are very capable. But I would like employers and their employees to be able to have that connection where the employee can be honest with them and say, I have this condition. I take medicine is controlled, you know, and let's say they say, okay, if I have a migraine that could trigger my seizure. So if I wake up with a migraine, I can't come to work Uh and try to find a way to come to a middle ground where the person who has epilepsy can have this gainful employment, but at the same time, the employer is benefiting from having that person as an employee and they could grow together. Mm. So communication I find is essential, but I think what it really comes down to for a lot of employers and I have complete empathy for it is it's the legalities. They're so worried if something goes wrong, they're going to get sued. That's a very good point there. Very good point. And let's talk a bit about creating your foundation. Um, so you decided you're, I was excited to have you on, first of all, because you're a fellow bulldog, <laughs> University of Redlands, which yes. is where I got my undergrad. So, um, so I was just eager to talk to you. And so you decided to get your MBA before starting the foundation. And I was yes. curious about that decision because, you know, a lot of people will do it at the same time. Um, so, you know, what was your thought process? Really what it came down to is I was so passionate about creating a foundation. I really wanted the knowledge behind it to make sure I did this right. And it really was the best thing I did because not only did it help me prepare for um, launching my foundation, I found it helped me personally grow and it really helped me fulfill no longer looking at my undergraduate degrees as just pretty pieces of paper on <laughs> the wall. They became stepping stones to getting becoming a stronger person. Mm. Excellent. Um, And so then now creating a nonprofit, that's not the easiest thing to do. No. (laughs) Walk us through the first steps. Um, What do you do first? Well, I think the hardest thing, and most people would think it's the easiest, it's really getting all the legal paperwork together, being patient as it's being processed, while it's being processed, putting together a business plan, 
even before I um, launched anything, the couple of years I was in my MBA program, I was already networking. Mm. I wanted to talk to people like me who were having seizures. I wanted to see what were doctors doing. I really got on and just took a couple of years to really dig through and meet people at a global level to see what was going on and really where did I have to focus. I feel like the most difficult part would be the fundraising. I mean, you're a nonprofit. Where is this money coming from? <laughs> oh, no, it, it is. It is very challenging because, of course, when you first just launch, I'll be the first to tell you I saved money to start the basics of it. Mm-hmm. But as I grew, I, you know, the hardest thing with COVID was we were so limited to what we could do. So we had to do what we could to show we were serious about this and that we were going to grow. So we really put together a ton of educational information about epilepsy and we're putting it all throughout social media. Mm. We created a blog with articles and we use um, peer reviewed journals. We don't just pick a couple of things off Mm. the website. We're using um, journal articles from different neurology um, journals. We're using things from .org.edu. So we know the, um, the credentials are there. So I was really, really hardcore with my interns about anything we put out. I wanted to make sure if a doctor looks at it, they're going, okay, they're making the effort to make sure what needs to get out gets out. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with our YouTube channel. I really wanted to give people an opportunity where if they felt overwhelmed and couldn't go to a doctor, there was info there to at least give them a general idea. And I always encourage my um, supporters if you have a question, I'm here. Email me. That's what I'm here for. And I'm really happy to say that since our channel has grown, our YouTube channel has grown, a lot of people are doing that. They're leaving comments. They're asking mm-hmm. questions. And it's so nice to see people opening up and wanting to find answers. And a lot of the times it's taking the first steps to heal, which is so hard for many. I could I could say for myself and hopefully Alyssa as well that, you know, fundraising wise, if, if you guys were to ever do some sort of events or something, we'd love to be involved and mm-hmm. in, in to help out with something like that. Um, Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, we love nonprofits anyway. You know, we've had a few on and um, it, there's nothing like, a you know, a, a truly wholesome nonprofit organization that's out there educating folks. And, um, you know, sometimes all it takes is, is, you know, a couple of good events a year and you've actually been able to help and contribute more. So I hope, you know, as, as all this gets a little easier with COVID, um, that, you know, you're able to open up and, and, and do those kind of things, uh, 100%. Well, I, I've been very lucky. The, um, Chamber of Commerce we have here, Rancho Cucamonga, where I am. The president has been very supportive. She connected me to the city of Rancho Cucamonga. They have a RC Healthy program, and I'm helping the subcommittee for compassionate care and mental wellness to reach out to um, people right there in the city to educate them. And I'm working, I'm in the beginning talks of working with the National Alliance for Mental Illness We want to put together a monthly webinar and talk about the importance of overall wellness if you have a pre-existing condition, especially if it's something like a neurological or psychological disorder, because something like epilepsy 
it's considered a comorbid disease, which means a lot of complications come with it. So people with epilepsy may have cerebral palsy as well. Mm. They may have autism. They battle with anxiety, depression, PTSD. So that's why it's not a one size fits all condition. It can be somebody may be able to find some balance and function. And then there's sadly, there's some people it's so bad. They're completely dependent on a caregiver. I love it. So now you had also mentioned, um, or I I was reading about this, um, you you have a scholarship, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, Education is very important to me because when I was younger, when I finished high school, went to college, a lot of people actually discouraged me from doing my higher education for the attitude was, well, who would hire someone like you? Mm -hmm. And it gave me more of the motivation to want to learn, to show that I could survive. And I want um, the younger generation who have epilepsy to have a sense of security and independence that I had to work so hard for, but I want to be easier for them. So right now we offer two scholarships a year. It's a small amount right now since we just launched um, in 2020, it's $500 for each scholarship. But my long-term goal in the next 10 years is I would like to be able to partner with people to be able to offer five scholarships at $2,500 each. So that's one of my um, goals on my strategic plan is to really show people in the area the benefits of investing in our, you know, in our younger generation, even those who may have a chronic illness, they still can do great things with their lives. Thank you for tuning in to the Same Business Different Day podcast. If you like the way that our show sounds and looks and are interested in doing a podcast of your own, send us an email. Yes, we've gotten into the podcast game, producing podcasts for individuals and businesses just like you. Contact us at a different day radio at gmail.com or on IG at a different day radio. Now, you had mentioned earlier, uh, well, maybe not Maybe that was before we started recording, but you'd mentioned uh, some work that you're doing with um, the Republic of Congo. Oh, yes. We partnered with the University of New Mexico Project Echo program. And what Project Echo is, is it was created by a doctor who was a liver specialist. And he was teaching at the university, but many people in the rural regions of New Mexico had hepatitis C, but were too poor to come to the clinic. So he created a system called telementoring where he was mentoring these um, doctors through Zoom and other sources like that, Zoom, Skype, any of those, mm-hmm. to help these doctors learn about hepatitis C so they understood how to diagnose and treat patients who couldn't get to a clinic. And the uh, program has been so successful that they're implementing it at a global level now for many different conditions. And so our goal over the Democratic Republic of Congo is to be able to train the primary doctors and nurses about epilepsy to improve overall care and um, improve the quality of life for the patient, but also to educate the community because they have 600,000 patients over there, but only eight neurologists, which it's impossible for those eight neurologists to see every patient. But the real problem over there is many parts of Africa because of the lack of resources communities have in some areas, many still think of um, epilepsy as being possessed like a witchcraft or that it's contagious. 
and the doctor I work with in the Democratic Republic of Congo, it was a very, um, he's very passionate about his work. He started his nonprofit, which is called ASLIC, and it was heartbreaking. Um, when I first found out the story, there was a little girl who was eight years old, and she was walking home from school with her friends, and she had a seizure. It went face first into a puddle on the ground. And the children were so scared, thinking if they touched her, they would start having seizures. Oh, they ran for the village, and she drowned and died in the puddle. Mm-mm. So it just shows how important education is for communities. And, I mean, it broke my heart when I first heard that video because myself over the years, I've had different types of seizures, and there's times I won't even know what happened. And then there's times I am aware of what's going on, but I can't communicate to you that I know what's going on. And I just, I had to stop thinking about it because all I thought to myself was, I hope it was over before she even knew it happened. I hope she didn't suffer in any way. Yeah. Now, and that's got to be, you know, an issue globally in a lot of places, like all over, right? I mean, in different countries who react differently, have uh, different misconceptions or stigmatize it in, in, you know, various ways. Um, obviously being uneducated is one piece of it, but, um, you know, they may just look at you differently and, and, you know, it's still even going into kind of what we were saying. And, and, you know, I've seen this in the business world outside of just medical conditions, you know, you could be talking about someone's sexual orientation or whatever, or just, you know, their gender. Uh, yes. She could never be the president. You could never be, you know, the president of this corporation or you could never be, you know, whatever. And so uh, I imagine, though, um, with epilepsy uh, in, in various countries, they they don't all look at it the same way that uh, we do here. Oh, no. Primarily in Africa, many of them are afraid for their loved ones who have epilepsy for it to be found out, worried that um, they'll be caused harm or they might try to chase them out of the village, accusing them of having um, a possessed loved one. A woman that um, I talked to at times in the United Kingdom, she's originally from Gambia, and her brother has epilepsy and had many complications, but sadly it got worse over the years because um, not just limited medicine available, but he was outside the home one day, and people in the village rounded up and and beat him really badly. Mm-hmm. So it, it puts a lot of people in danger. I mean, that's the one thing I think some don't realize. I've heard many stories of um, people seizing in public and being robbed. Or mm-hmm. one thing I hope to do in the future is I really want to work with law enforcement to understand complications like epilepsy or autism, the importance of being educated 100%. about neurodiversity mm-hmm. because you know, myself, I don't have, most people, when they think of a seizure, they think of a ton, what's called a tonic-clonic seizure where they lose consciousness and fall, stiffen and shake. I don't come off like that. I have what are called complex partials. So I lose consciousness and I don't know what's going on, but I'm still walking around. I may talk, I may bumble. The best way I could describe it is I look like I'm drunk or high mm-hmm. and I'm just getting incoherent. I've had too much of something. And a lot of times when people are in that situation, because people don't recognize it as a seizure, they'll call for help. The police will arrive. The person cannot um, comprehend anything, so they can't comply with the officers. And sadly, at times, a lot of them get arrested. I've had people 
reach out to me, tell me stories about regaining consciousness in a jail cell. Or one doctor I've worked with, he's a neurologist, a retired neurologist in Scotland, having to bail his son out a couple of times from having seizures. And now, of course, they dropped any charges that they were going to bring against them. But it's, you know, for anyone, it would be so frightening to wake up in a, in a jail cell and not know what happened to you or how you got there. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're talking, of course, in Africa, there's a lot more going on with and a lot more education. But even here in the States, obviously, it's something that everyone could know a little bit more about. <laughs> oh, abs- absolutely. And that's really one of the many reasons I decided to create my organization, because I find a lot of the bigger organizations, while they do wonderful work, like one of the ones that um, I like is Cure Epilepsy but it's made up of neurologists, neurosurgeons, Mm. epileptologists. So these are people who are advocating for more funding for research, better um, medical um, options, everything, which is needed. But so many, where my attitude is, is I love that people want to work towards a cure or improving um, quality of life care. Mm -hmm. We're we're living in the here and now. What are we doing now? to help with the problem, to improve things. Cause I tell so many people pills don't just solve all the problems. So many people think when it comes to health conditions, chronic illnesses, all right, you take your pill and that's the end of the world. Take my, myself, taking my pills is just the beginning step. I have anxiety and depression, PTSD due to um, a lot of the complications I've had over the years. Sure. I have to eat right. I have to exercise daily. If I hit a bump in the road and I'm having a bad day, I meditate or I go hiking, I garden. I have to do things to keep myself balanced. I can't just focus on taking my meds. I have to focus on my emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual Mm. wellness. So there's got to be some synergy there. Yeah. You guys got to work together. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So uh, I imagine over all these years uh, in the legal field, all the years in uh, just in education in general, you've um, come across a book or two. And so we're going to take you to Alyssa's book corner. (laughs) Um, So my book corner is all about book recommendations. I'm an avid reader. I love hearing about different books. Um, So anything, if you have a favorite book, a book that has stood out to you, helped you along your path, maybe there's a book to educate people about epilepsy. Uh, Any recommendations you have? Um, There's a a new book out by Dr. Ian Bone. Of course, course I can't remember the name of it. Is it all right if I grab my phone real quick? I might be able to find the name of it because it's, it's a long title. But what I love about it is he's a... He's in a very unique situation. He is um, a neurologist, but his son has epilepsy. So he's had to, um, over his lifetime, learn how to be not just the doctor, but also um, the caregiver. Hmm. And a lot of um, a lot of doctors, I find, because they're so focused on uh, diagnosis that they really just don't um, know, know how to um, work with people. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, he's got a bedside manner at work, but not with, <laughs> yeah. not with his children at home. Um, but I could imagine, though, that's a tough battle you, you to take your step 
and now you're the caregiver caregiver at home. That's that's got to be tough for him. Oh yeah, and what I really love about how humble he is, um, we were I interviewed him for my YouTube channel, and right. he talked about how much they tried to find some balance to mm-hmm. making sure his son did not feel excluded. Love and that. one year they took um, a vacation down to Greece to go to the beaches. And when they were all at the beach, his daughters and their friends decided they wanted to snorkel. And of course, you know, he didn't even think about it. You know, he let his daughters go ahead. And he said, then he turned and saw his son who could not go snorkel because, you know, he had the risk of having a seizure and he just saw how isolated his son felt. And he never meant to put him in a situation like that. But he said, just living around someone daily, he goes, I could really see what, my you know patients were going through outside their life but also he acknowledged he goes as a parent i didn't always do everything right Right. he goes i tried but you know i couldn't always Mm. i i know it starts the title because sacred lives but of course it's a it really what i love about the book is um he focuses on the um the history of everything and really at one point it's epilepsy has been around since the beginning with them, the Greeks actually saw that people who had seizures were connected to gods. Mm -hmm. It was later as time went on, it went from them being special and connected to possessed. Mm -hmm. And that was, and it took until sad to say the 1970s for doctors to finally realize putting people away in asylums was not going to solve the problem that people with epilepsy actually needed compassionate care as a way to get their seizures under control Mm. that's a long time of history 1970s wasn't that long ago (laughs) oh no and that's that's the ironic thing is i think so many people don't don't see it that way they really they really don't Mm -hmm. so what's next for the defeating epilepsy foundation um you mentioned that you have a couple projects coming up well what we're hoping to do is um, the first thing we want to do, I was recently involved with the University of California at Riverside. They have an extension program, and I took part in Seed Lab, which is a social innovation program. And I really loved it because they help small businesses, for-profit or non-profit, that are in the Inland Empire do what they can to grow and network and gain support because they want to see more people involved in the community and helping build the Inland Empire. And what I want to do long-term is I want to create a telemedicine service so that people with epilepsy can get mental health counseling from the comfort of their home. Mm -hmm. And what really drew me to want to do this project was I love doing research and I read a lot of um, articles. And one of the articles I read, there was a study, it was published in 2016, And from 2003 to 2010, they were gathering data in 17 states about patients who had epilepsy that committed suicide. And they came to the conclusion that people with epilepsy are 22 times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. And if you look at some of the numbers that are posted on different websites, they put it at two and a half to five percent. And it frustrates me because I look at the numbers and I go, we're in a mental health crisis. Mm. I'm looking at That's this right. going, why is, why is the community 
being silent about this. And it's not that the families with epilepsy are being silent. I just, I, I don't like saying I fault the healthcare system, but in a way I do, because I wish that doctors and other professionals would be willing to cross paths and work together as, as teammates. It can't be little clubs. I just work with the neurosurgeons or I just work with the psychologist. It's like, if you have a patient that needs a good medical team put together to help them survive, you have to be willing to cross those lines and communicate together. Yeah, That's right. I love that. A hundred percent. You know, and, and what I really like too, you know, as, as we talk about the mission of this podcast, it's, um, you know, that you found something that you're passionate about clearly. And, um, we're, you know, you take the time to start a business based on that passion. We don't always just have to come up with, you know, the greatest idea, reinvent the wheel or the Rubik's cube or whatever. Right. We, we can actually create a business based on something that, you know, we feel deep, uh, you know, deeply inside, you know, serious about. So, uh, you know, I applaud you for that and also encourage others who are out there thinking about, um, starting a business that, you know, sometimes that's the path as well. Um, and so, you know, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we want to know, you know, if you if you got any wrap up conversation about, you know, what's next uh, for the defeating uh, epilepsy foundation um, or even some advice to our listeners um, or, you know, in, any other information that you that you can give us. Oh, I really would just say to people, if you are battling epilepsy, please don't let the stigma of this haunt you. You may have a neurological disorder, but it doesn't mean that you don't deserve to have a good life. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you have potential. You have ability. It's going to be very frustrating. You're going to feel plenty of times lemons being thrown at you. But rather than hold on to them and let them weigh you down, please find something true to your heart to make, help you turn them into lemonade and let people see what your true self-worth is, what, what you're able to do. And then for those who don't know anything about epilepsy, I invite you to learn about epilepsy. You can go to our website at www.defeatingepilepsy.org where we have a blog and you can read about all sorts of different articles when it comes to what epilepsy is, certain types of epilepsy or seizures. We have a living with epilepsy series where we talk about things like dance, music therapy, other benefits to help people with epilepsy. And we also have our YouTube channel at the Defeating Epilepsy Foundation, where a lot of our articles that we write about, we turn them into videos as well for our supporters to watch. And we have a contributor series where we have interviewed a number of doctors, uh, neurodiagnostic techs, nutritionists, ER doctors, and people who are battling epilepsy, you know, to share what their life has been like, either working in the field or dealing with epilepsy. So it's a great way to get an understanding of what somebody has to go through and how you can be by understanding it, how you can be more accepting of others. I love it. Wow. I Excellent. Love it. Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> Thank you. How about some more contact? Info yeah. Um, so contact, I'm going to once again, um, I mean, the easiest thing to learn more is to go to, to their website and you can also donate on the website. That's www.defeatingepilepsy.org. Uh, you can check them out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at Defeat Epilepsy. 
Um, they have a YouTube channel, the Defeating Epilepsy Foundation, and you can also send them an email asking questions, info at defeatingepilepsy.org. And Natalie, you mentioned um, if someone wants to help out or donate but can't do maybe a dollar amount, they can go to Amazon Smile and select Defeating Epilepsy Foundation as their charity and Amazon will be able to help out. Absolutely. <laughs> Anything anyone can do to help us make a difference, we are truly grateful. Yeah. We got information on the YouTube channel, right? Yes, we do. Sweet. <laughs> I just want to make sure, because I'm going to go check out some of those videos as well. I, I want to oh, see awesome. about the, the interviews that you've mm -hmm. been doing. Uh, we'll, we'll subscribe. Uh, so, everybody, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Natalie, today. I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. We'll make sure to get this up soon, because this is a great conversation. Oh, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Natalie Boyum. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Same Business, Different Day. We truly appreciate your support. Please like, subscribe, and leave a nice comment on all platforms. It really helps our show. The Same Business, Different Day podcast is produced by A Different Day Radio, Star Fox Media, and James Russell. Same business, different day.